I can't remember um, when I started to think about prayer. And today's message is about uh, prayer in relationship to how God works. And I remember, remember as a boy going out walking at night as a young as a as a christian as a young man going out in the in the uh, roads out into the country fields where there was no lights and i'd look up and i'd see this vast dark sky and think god's out there somewhere and to pray and think that god would actually be listening to me pray it's always been a mystery to me. It's been a hard thing to understand, and uh, and so when I get <clears throat> when I get to prepare the service, uh, the sermon this week, I was thinking. Uh, titles are always trouble for me because I think about ten, fifteen titles before I come up with one, and uh, the one I came up with was one that you have prayers that move God. But even after that, I thought, no, I'm going to change this title because as I looked at that title, I thought. The focus is, focuses on prayer and, and in a way that kind of makes you think, if I can get God to move, and so prayer is a technique that I can get God to do things for me, I thought, I've got to figure out this God guy so I can get answers to prayer. And I thought, that's the wrong focus. So I changed it to prayers that move us. And I thought, well, um, the focus is on again, a, a spiritual discipline of prayer. And, and I thought, no, that's not really the focus. <laughs> so I went to another change, and so I've come up with final, so you can scratch out your title and write this one in. I put, the focus of this sermon will be the God who moves us to pray. And so as I'm going through this passage, I, as we get into Acts 10, I thought, okay, Lord, what is it that you want me to communicate as a pastor to feed the sheep? And so we're going to look at something I think would fill in that Swiss cheese hole, the gap that we, we know some things about God and we, there are things that we don't know about God. But hopefully this will get us into looking at the story of Cornelius and Peter and what God is doing in the book of Acts. And so... Buckle your seatbelt and let's go on a journey. <clears throat> Last week I mentioned that God's Spirit builds the kingdom of God by building Spirit-filled relationships. And there's a new word, imprecated, overlapping, touching like those roof tiles you saw. Life by life with hearts set free, who live and move in a fallen world, telling their stories with love, truth, and grace. Somehow that God's involved in your life in such a way that when you speak Christ, you touch another person's life, which is what you'll see in the book of Acts. Well, <clears throat> to get the view, to take a look at this, what we want to do today is that we're going to take a look at the scriptures. And you know how when you look at the scriptures, I can see you back there smiling, and now you're in focus. But something about looking through binoculars makes that space come right to you. That's what I want you to have, to see God that same way when you bring God that close and you focus on Christ. And so we're going to look at 
four things today real quickly. We're going to look at a focus, our focus, that we tend to read Scripture with. And we're going to look at his aim, what he wants us to focus on. Then we're going to look at his story, his redemptive story, and how it's working out in that kingdom work. And then his involvement in our stories. So let me begin with our focus. And so the idea that that as I was thinking about prayer and I need to pray more or I need to work on my faith or I need to I, I need to improve my Christian life in some way. I need to study more. I need to be more committed. I need to be more spirit-filled. Whenever you get into that, what I call the BBS syndrome, the belly button syndrome, where I've got to improve my life, it's, it's, a, it's a self-focus. It's a, it's a human focus as opposed to a God-centered focus. And if you're listening to the, the discourse in the Christian community, you hear a lot of things that are not necessarily about God, beginning with kids. So you've heard this song, uh, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Where's the focus? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And that song's a nice little song. But it's a song about me and my light. And I'm going to let my light shine. And so that's a different focus than this one. Jesus loves me. This I know. And that's a God-centered song. And there are songs that are God-centered then there are songs that are me-centered. There are songs that make you feel good about you. Then there are songs that will help you lift yourself out of yourself and onto a God focus. Now, one of those songs we did last year or two years ago, God is watching, watching over you, 24-7 watching over you. Your life is in his hands, whoa, whoa. He's got great big plans because he's watching over you. Those songs have different emphases. And understanding that when you sing a song or you come to church or you, you, you go into Bible reading, you have a focus either on God or you have a focus on man. And about nine years ago at, the, uh, at a conference for children desiring God, Dally... Uh, David and Sally Michael told a story of how teaching kids Bible stories will either lead them with an understanding of God or an understanding of man. And they said that there are two ways to talk about God. And one is a way that we hide God's story. We miss it. We put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, on the wrong place. And the other one is to to really focus on God where you magnify the Lord. For example, when you hear the story about Joseph, what do you hear is, is that Joseph interprets the Pharaoh's dream. It's about Joseph and the ability of Joseph to be faithful and it's about Joseph and his obedience. About Well, we talk about um, John and Peter healing the lame man. We, we hear a God-centered, uh, a man-centered focus where David slew Goliath. 
And so when we talk about a, a story that you hear people come away with the wrong conclusion that it's, it's about David's faith or Joseph's faithfulness or, or about Paul's obedience. It, it's about a human doing something as opposed to God gave Joseph the interpretation. God gave victory to David over Goliath. God did the healing through Peter and through John and God's going to do the same thing in Cornelius and on. But we miss that and so we focus on people and the story that people are involved with as opposed to what God is doing. And so when you get into understanding and thinking about the scriptures, um, A.W. Pink in his writing, the book I'm reading, says the foundation of all true knowledge of God must be a clear mental apprehension of his person and his perfection as revealed in Holy Scripture. If we are to truly profit from our reading of the Bible, we need to seek God and focus on God and acquaint ourselves to looking beyond the details of the story and learn about the Lord himself. And that's the focus that I want us to have as we go through those uh, as, as we go through the stories in the book of Acts, because there's a lot of things in there that we get caught up in the details and we will miss the Lord and the meaning that he wants us to have. Now, there are a lot of people, if you're reading and, and among the pastors and the material that's out there, there is a movement to talk about Christ-centeredness. Christ-centeredness in the church, Christ-centeredness in the prayers, Christ-centeredness, it's about Christ-centered preaching. Uh, Jonathan Edwards would talk about the affections for Christ. It's, a, it's about a tozer, pursuing God. We're, we're not just interested in using God or enjoying the benefits or the blessings or the gifts that he has for us. We're interested in him. And that Christ-centeredness uh, is the reason why we are teaching here at the church these five things that I'm expecting you all to remember and know and become fluent in. Remember what these are? The... Yeah, and as you understand, the first one, and, and this is the reason why, these words are weighted, give a $1,000 to each one, because they're very significant in my thinking, because if you're not Christ-centered, you're not growing as a Christian. If you're not Christ-centered, you're either using God for your own ends, but you're missing the Lord of glory. There's something absent when you don't have Christ at the center and you put yourself at the center. Well, the idea that there's a revelation that God is, is moving to reveal and disclose because he wants you to know him and he's using all of these things, but we will look at the things and get the a lesson, but we won't get God. And yet, to understand the story, what he's focusing on is to understand his involvement with us in a fallen world to redeem it and in the redemption, the salvation story, to bring us back into that relationship where we are restored. And we know God working in our lives in such a way that we see God at work and it's God at work. Not just, I get better or I got off 
whatever issues I was dealing with. And this is what um, this is what Charlie and I were talking about yesterday when he was talking about baptism. And I said, you got to understand, Charlie, this isn't just a Christian ritual that we're doing. This is what Jeremiah said when he said, and this I read to Charlie, he said, uh, this says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. And let not the mighty man boast of his might. Not, uh, let, let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he, now notice these phrases, that he understands and he knows me. That's the focus for us, that we know who God is. But notice what else it says, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness, where? On earth. You should see the Lord at work showing his loving kindness, showing his justice, showing his righteousness. And I delight. I delight. This, I love this, says the Lord. I love right. I delight. I love to do these things for you. And that's really the definition of what Jesus said, that this is eternal life, that they might know thee, that they might experience thee in such a way that you're taken, you're caught up, you're, you're caught up in a wonder of who the God is that called you to glory. But many people don't have that focus. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, you do Bible study, you do theological dissertations because you're falling in love with the journey, you're falling in love with the, the, the whole study, you, but you miss me. But these scriptures are to testify of me and you don't want to come to me and so you get this, this knowledge about God as opposed to the knowledge of the Lord involved with you. And he went on to say to the Pharisees, how can you believe when you see glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that's from the one and only God? You see, God wants to be involved in our lives in such a way that he's more than just an acquaintance. Though that's what Eliphaz said to Job. Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Uh, Eliphaz was not the, uh, not the friend you want to counsel you. But he had this right. He says you've got to get back to God, Job. And that's true for all of us. If we don't have God as a focus, then we're going to miss what God's doing. Okay, our focus then isn't to be just man-centered. Our focus is to be God-centered. And that's why when you read the book of Acts, I always say it's the acts of the Holy Spirit as opposed to the acts of the apostles. Because I like to see the Holy Spirit at work. And you see them if you focus on the Holy Spirit at work. And when you read this into the story, you'll see what the Holy Spirit is doing in each and every one of these lives. And here's what he's doing. You'll begin to see that everyone in the, in the book of Acts who come to Christ start with a self-centeredness, a man-centeredness. But the Holy Spirit moves us to other-centeredness. 
at that point in sin, and we start with repentance, and then the Lord takes that point and moves us over to really becoming more focused on what God does. And so we learn that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, some people understand that. Some people don't, because there are different stages of the Christian life. And Paul said it this way, I have been crucified. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul understood that. Abraham, uh, Peter understood that. Uh, Barnabas understood that. Dorcas understood that. Cornelius came to understand that. As did Abraham, Moses, David, and Isaiah. But when you see the Spirit of God is working in these lives to be helping these men become God-men, God-oriented men, Spirit-filled men, if you understand that's the movement of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives, then you're ready to hear how God is going to do that in the life of Cornelius. Cornelius, a military man, a man of war, a man, no doubt, who saw people killed in battle, saw the mighty Roman army, who knew war, and therefore probably something about the human level. He was so despondent. He became a God-fearing man. And Cornelius an important man in this story, uh, which we'll look at next week, some of the lessons from Cornelius. But the idea I want you to hear is, how does a God work in a Gentile heart to turn him into a man who's a kingdom-centered, Christ-centered, man who would say what Paul says. Can you hear Cornelius say, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I, Cornelius, who live, but it's Christ in me. That testimony is for all of us And he works that testimony in each story in the book of Acts. And he works that story in each person here at Chesterland Baptist. A.W. Tozer said it this way. We become aware of the work of the Spirit of God through the process of surrendering. When we yield to the Spirit of God to seek His work in making us aware of the Father and the Son, when we understand that the Spirit of God is drawing me to focus on Christ, then I, I grow. It's the, this manifestation that's the difference between the so-called Christian and the life of one who radiantly seeks God's face. There are a lot of Christians in America, but very few seek his face. Like Moses, it will be a great moment for us when we begin to believe that God's promise of self-revelation is literally true. And so as you come into an understanding that God's spirit is at work in every individual you meet, Christian and non-Christian, throughout the whole universe, building spirit-filled relationships life by life
world, life, touching life, with hearts set free who live and move in a fallen world, telling their stories with love, truth, and grace. Now, with that set of binoculars, let's go into the book of Acts, chapter 10. Here's the story you know of Peter's life overlapping with Cornelius's life. These men probably never met. But why did they meet? Because the Holy Spirit was at work bringing two people, entirely different backgrounds together, life on life. And so what I want you to see is this. Peter, Peter is in Joppa. He's just was at Dorcas place and he's down there visiting the saints. And what's he doing in Joppa? Well, he says, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, while I was praying, I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. Peter's in prayer. The details of that prayer we'll look at next week because there's some implications with that. But I want you to hear this, that Peter was in prayer. Peter was seeking God, and he was in Joppa when something else was taking place in Joppa. Guess who else was in prayer at the same time? Cornelius was in his home at the regular time praying, and so you got Peter seeking God, and Cornelius seeking God. And you've got to hear this, that it's not just these two men praying. It's the fact that the Spirit of God was at work drawing these two men together. And that's what you see happening when the Spirit answers prayer through sending people into be the, the very answer. And so God wanted to introduce to Peter some things through Cornelius, and God wanted to introduce to Cornelius some things through Peter. That's how the church works, is that you share some things about the Lord, and you share your story, and other people share your story, and the church is built up. But God wanted to introduce to Cornelius a different lesson. And so as a Gentile, he was a God-fearer. He, he knew that there must be a God because the war in the world that he lived in was not uh, the one he wanted to live in. But hear this, that in the book of Acts, Cornelius as a Gentile was praying. And guess what? The Holy Spirit prompted this Gentile to pray. So much so that when you look at the book of Acts, all the things that are happening in prayer, it takes place a lot because when people pray, the Holy Spirit moves. That's what you've got to hear. Not just the fact that people are praying, you've got to improve your prayer life, and here's three steps to improve your prayer life. It's the fact that God's listening. And so Luke mentions 19 times about prayer in this gospel, but 32 times in the book of Acts when people pray, the Spirit moves. Do you believe that? Think about that. Because that's an amazing sentence. It's a sentence that I struggle with. I think, I got, if your movement is based on my prayer life, we're sunk. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not that, 
I'm still learning about, I feel like I'm a baby prayer. But, but I know what God's doing, but if, I, if this is true that the Lord is waiting for us to pray, or the Lord is going to prompt us to pray, wow. But in the book of Acts, you see this all over the place. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Along with the women and the Mary, of Je- mother of Jesus, these were praying people. And they were seeking the Lord. And the disciples said, we're, we're not going to get it distracted by the service over here, but we're going to ask the Lord. We're going to devote ourselves to, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Interesting combination. Prayer is first, the word is second. Sometimes I think the word is first and prayer. It doesn't make a difference because I know the spirit of God is involved in all of it. But when they were praying during Pentecost, the spirit came down. We know that story. And that's why Paul would say later on, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Well, prayer is a way to magnify God. Prayer is a way to say, He did it. He did it. The focus is on what Christ does, not what we do. But the problem is, if our prayer life is going to be compared to the understanding that we have of how big our God is, if your prayer life is going to be proportional to your understanding of God, then you understand that our God is too small, as J.B. Phillips would say. And our understanding of who the Lord is is the most important thing about us. But if you understand that God is listening, God is watching, if we really believe that, we wouldn't get up off our knees. God is listening. God is watching over you 24-7. But to move in this God-oriented invitation to know him in prayer is to be involved with what Ole Halsby, the Norwegian pastor, said, is to lie in the sunshine of God's grace. Whatever relational breakdown, weakness you have, whatever trouble you've got, whatever relational breakdowns you've got, it wouldn't make a difference when you lie in the grace of God and you bring that grace right into prayer and you see the Lord of glory is going to move in your circumstance in such a way that he's going to use you or use others that he has chosen because God is doing a work in your life because of the Holy Spirit prompting you to pray. And that's what I want you to hear in the book of Acts. And it's not just that these men started to pray. It's that God chose Peter. And God chose Cornelius. God could have sent Barnabas. He could have sent um, Silvanus. He could have sent Ananias. He could have sent anybody to Cornelius. But God chose to send Peter. God chose to send me to Chesterland. He could have used anybody. He can use he could have chosen another guy, not Cornelius, but he could have chosen anyone because it's not the individual that matters. 
God will get his job done through any means, but the fact that he would choose to do it through you and me matters. And therefore, you have a very real, a very real part and your response in, to the Spirit in prayer is to understand He chose you. And in choosing you, the prayer that most moves God is this one. I'm available. I'm available. God, I'm available. Do with me. Teach me. Train me. I'm available. Let me tell you, when God hears a person pray that prayer, the Spirit of God moves. That's what that means. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's our focus. That's our aim. That's his work in our story. And our story is caught up in the larger story that he's going to be moving people life on life throughout our relationships. And therefore, to, to understand this is a mystery throughout all ages, which has been hidden but now has been manifested to us as saints, who God willed to make known to Cornelius and to others what are the riches of his glory, this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Christ in you. Not you in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So as we get into the understanding from Acts 10 on, I want you to hear that missions is going to take on a different flavor as you watch these relationships play out because Cornelius would say, I am here. I am available. And as you go through, as you read through the next, uh, the rest of the book of Acts, pay attention to how the Holy Spirit is leading individuals as you unfold this story. Let me stop here. We'll continue it because there are lessons for Peter next week. That's wonderful lessons. Lessons for Cornelius. Wonderful lessons for Gentiles. But we'll pick this up. But I feel like we need to understand that it's the God who moves through the Holy Spirit for people who pray. Leading us into life on life. And that's how the kingdom grows. Let me pray. Father, take these words and build your church. Give us the wisdom to listen to you. Not to hide what you're doing, not to focus on us, but to focus on Christ. And we want to just thank you for all that you're doing in us. Now, Father, we would say to you, move us. We are available. In Jesus' name, amen.